Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 325 and we're talking about what to look for when booking accommodation online. Way, way, way back in prehistory, I mean in 2008, we recorded a podcast called 10 Things to Look For When Booking a Hostel Online. Things have changed for us, things have changed dramatically in the accommodation scene, but we still have a mental checklist of things that we look for, and that's what we're going to be walking you through today. Yeah, we certainly don't use hostels as much as we used to. We, we do still stay at hostels, we like them. It's great for atmosphere, for hanging out, there's kitchens, but we don't usually stay in dorm rooms. And a lot of our tips from back in 2008, episode 62, I think it was, Whoa. Yeah, were things like, you know, look at how big the dorm size is, is it mixed gender? We don't look at any of those things anymore because we almost exclusively get private rooms, even in a hostel, which we find really helpful because you still get the atmosphere, but you also get a private space, hopefully a private bathroom, but you still get all the benefits, right? You get to use the kitchen. There's sometimes a book swap or a place to hang out in the lounge. I like that. Over the last week, we have still been in Panama, but we ventured out of Santa Fe. It's true. We left. Yes, it's amazing. My brother's living in London at the moment, and he's working for British Airways, and he managed to find some amazing flights to Costa Rica. So he and his fiance Katie, booked those flights, went to Costa Rica, and they were thinking about coming down to visit us here in Santa Fe, but it was it's just quite a challenge. You know, a long bus trip, and then another bus trip, and maybe another bus trip to get here, and they wouldn't really have that much time left. So instead, we compromised. They booked flights to Panama City, and we caught a bus, and then another bus, and another bus to meet them. <laughs> Someone's got to be on three buses. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> we were really lucky, though. We knew that the first Chiva, which is like a minibus, would be coming past our place at about 8 o'clock. And we've been warned that sometimes they run early because they just do the route whenever they're going past. And so, you know, I got up earlier than usual and I was packing up. And, you know, Craig realized that he'd left his sunglasses in the car, so I ran to get them. He walked to the gate, and as he arrived at the gate, the Chiva was just coming down the road. So I ran to open the gate and, and locked it again, and we got on the bus, and it was perfect. It was just perfect time. Maybe if we'd been there a minute earlier, it would have been better, but, you know, you can't win them all. And then that dropped us at the bottom of the road. We were just about to sit down at the bus stop, and the next bus came along, so we got on that. That took us to Santiago. We were in the uh, the terminal, and I went to the bathroom, and then Craig was calling me on my phone on WhatsApp, saying, ah, hurry up, hurry up. And there was another bus just about to leave. So we were, um, oh, we just had the best timing. We arrived in Panama City about two hours before we expected to. Yeah, I was mad. You know, sometimes you end up just missing that bus and waiting half an hour. In this case, we just got to the bus with 30 seconds to spare each time it was moving before we sat down. So that really worked out well. Yeah, it was a bit sad, though, because Simon and Katie had the opposite experience. You know, they arrived fine in Costa Rica, and then they got on their flight to Panama City. And something was going wrong, but they weren't sure what because they don't speak Spanish and 95% of the announcements were in Spanish. So the pilot would come on and say something in Spanish and they thought that they were going to be diverted to another airport and then they ended up landing at the same airport. And while this was going on, I was trying to find a website where I could look at flight arrivals and departures and they were all horrendously out of date, so it didn't work very well for me. But we, we ended up meeting up. It was great. We stayed in a, a pleasant little hotel in the same district that we stayed in last time. And we had a wonderful day together going to the Panama Canal, wandering around the old town with lunch in the fish market. It was really nice. We also had a restaurant recommendation from Dan over at AsWeSawIt.com, and it was fantastic. It was a really great meal with Argentinian steak and 
Ah, oh, cooked so well. Was it good? It's, um, oh, it's called Patagonia Grill. Yeah. Yeah, but they had Argentinian steak and Uruguayan tanette, which is really hard to find. So I was very happy. Very yeah. happy. I ended up having a New Zealand lamb, and I know that I'm a big fan of eating local, but I really wanted a special treat, and that was it's my favorite food in the whole world. So I, I treated myself, especially after our disaster of birthday week the week before, where we didn't manage to eat out at all. So it was slightly outside of our normal budget, but it was really nice. We had a great time with Simon and Katie and delicious, delicious food. You know what we just missed by a few days was the opening of the new Panama Canal. It was crazy. You know, the, the Panama Canal connects the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. It saves weeks of travel for freight ships and all other ships that don't need to entirely circumnavigate all of South America to cross between the Atlantic and the Pacific. So it's this massively important interchange. And they've been having some issues recently. You know, the it used to be the largest container ships in the world were called Panamax, which is the maximum size for the Panama Canal. And now there's these Neo-Panamax ships, which are, you know, even bigger. But then how do they get from one ocean to the other? They, they can't, they, well, they have to go all the way around. It takes forever. So they've created these new locks to allow larger ships in. And they've done it just in time because up in Nicaragua, they're also making a cut through the continent. And so there'll be a exchange system between the two oceans in Nicaragua soon too. So there's kind of this big, big push. And it's been a huge celebration here that they've managed to get these open, I think just about 18 months, two years late. Two years after uh, schedule. So, you know, it's, it's off schedule, but for a project of this size and complexity, that, you know, that happens. Yeah, they plan to open it in 2014 to coincide with the 100-year anniversary of the opening of the original Panama Canal, which would have been really cool, but unfortunately it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I read this amazing article, if you're interested in this at all, on the uh, New York Times about it and about all of the problems they had and the contractors and the concrete and the time delays and the costs and just how the whole thing was an absolute disaster. But, you know... It's open. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone keeps smiling. <laughs> Cross your fingers. Nothing bad happens. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's get on to talking about things to do when booking accommodation online. So let's start with number one. When you're booking accommodation online, of course, you need to use a website. We tend to use booking.com as the starting point, but we also use other websites like hotels.com, airbnb.com, homestay.com. If you're looking for hostels, you might want to try hostelworld.com or hostels with a z.com. There are lots of options, and you can use your preferred one. I mean, each website has its pros and cons. We like Booking.com because it's got a really wide range, and, you know, it's just easy to use. Yeah, different sites have different uh, inventory in different places as well. So we sometimes find one site is better for one area of the world and another for another one. But with Booking.com, we've found they've got such a huge inventory. You know, they're one of the larger players in this space. And so it gives us one familiar kind of interface and way of searching to find similar quality places around the world. Of course, it depends on what kind of accommodation you're looking for. If you're looking for more of a homestay experience, then you'll want to go with Airbnb or homestay.com. Or you might want to consider couchsurfing, which has the benefit of being free, and you get to meet people and hang out with them. Well, we really love that. We still do couchsurfing, not as much as we used to, but I still really like it. 
And I guess right now we're house-sitting, so I guess we should mention that as well as another option for accommodation. Yeah, there are heaps of accommodation options, but let's assume you're going away for a weekend or a week and you just want to book a hotel or a hostel nice and easy. So we would go to booking.com and we'd run a search using the dates that we're going to be there. If you know the dates, you can do a search without the dates and see what hotels and hostels are there, but they won't tell you availability. So it's good to put in some rough dates and then you'll be able to look at the information and make your decision. So what do we look at? Well, first of all, number one, look at the general location. I was just listening to a podcast the other day about a woman who booked a hotel online. So she was traveling with a friend of hers and they were mostly sharing rooms. But then in one particular case, they decided to get separate hotel rooms. So the friend booked her room and then the woman who was telling the story went to book hers, but the hotel was full. So she did a quick search, found another one in the same town and booked that. Only it turned out it wasn't in the same town at all. It was 35 kilometers away. So she hadn't looked closely at the actual general location of the place. Although when she did the search, it had come up. It wasn't actually in the town she was looking at. It's normally not as bad as airlines where you can fly into the wrong country. (laughs) (laughs) Like when you're flying into uh, Vienna on Ryanair and you end up having to catch a bus (laughs) over the border again. Yeah, or maybe you're looking for a flight to Panama City and you end up going to Panama City Beach. You know, I did not know that Panama City Beach was a place in America. And someone said, hey, I'm on Panama City Beach. And I'm like, that's cool. You're just a couple of hours away. Jump on three buses and come and visit. And uh, and they were like, "Uh, no, uh, (laughs) Miami. Yeah, I was like, what? Why do you have Panama City Beach? And I go, mind blown. I know all about Panama City Beach because every time I do a search of Panama City, that comes up. (laughs) Quite often when you're doing a search on booking.com or something like that, it will come up with a different town to the one you're expecting. Quite often with these things, there's a US bias. So if there's a city with the same name as the place that you're going to, make sure that you're looking at the one that you really want to go to, whether it's in in the States or somewhere completely different. Yeah, I've almost ended up flying out of Birmingham, Alabama a few times when I've been searching around for cheap flights out of the UK and checking different airports. I'm like, no, that's that's not helpful in any way, shape or form for me. So that's why the first thing to check is the general location. Are you actually looking in the right place? The next thing, uh, look at the amenities that are on offer. So you can sometimes refine your search according to what you're looking for. For example, Craig and I will not stay in a hotel that doesn't have Wi-Fi. We really need Wi-Fi. And uh, I prefer to have a place that has breakfast, so I don't have to go looking for it in the morning. So you can do a search. Uh, You just have to tick a couple of boxes to make sure that that's available. One thing that we've found here in Central America is that hot water is not something you can assume that you've got. It really is something that's an add-on. We found this traveling around Colombia and uh, traveling around here in Panama, And that's not something that I think a lot of online booking engines have as a checkbox. So, you know, there's there's amenities and then there's things that are basic but aren't universal. Yeah, in that case, what you need to do is open up each individual listing and look at the information. So quite often in the hotel information section, it will have information like we have hot water or, you know, we have a kitchen available, things like that. If it isn't there, then you'll need to look at the ratings and reviews, which brings us on to the next point, which is ratings. Now, ratings are given by users, and you have to take them with a grain of salt because some people are going to be mean and give a one-star rating. Other people are going to be overly positive and give a 
a five-star rating when they don't really believe it. But we've found that if the rating is below about seven out of 10, it's not going to be the best place. Of course, if you have a very limited number of options, you might have to look at those lower rated choices. But anyway, what we do is we just eliminate everything that's got a rating of lower than seven and just look at those options that have, have better ratings. Definitely. We certainly find that things around the the 8.5 to 9.5 are kind of a sweet spot, eh? I mean, that's, that's perfect. If you can get something in your price at that uh, rating, we've had a very good success rate. It's when we get down into the uh, the below 8.5, all of a sudden it's, it's kind of a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a, not a gamble exactly, but, you know, your odds of having something excellent just keep dropping away. That's right. We stayed somewhere when we were in Panama City last time, not this most recent time, but before that. It had, I think it was an 8.9 rating, 9.1, something like that. And we had the best time. So we really did believe the rating. However, this last time when we were in Panama, the hotel had an 8.3 rating. And I think that deserved it because it was really lovely and clean and the staff was wonderful. But there were some problems with the amenities. And the rating system only gave you one option for rating the amenities. So that meant that although it had a good rating... It didn't adequately reflect our experience. So that's what I mean by take it with a grain of salt. Don't rely 100% on the ratings. Number four, and this one's an obvious one, is price. I mean, you have a budget for your trip and there's only a certain amount you want to spend per day and you've got to pull that into consideration. One thing I really like doing and one thing we often do is because we're traveling for such an extended period of time, we're not looking to splurge very much. So we're often after the cheapest place that meets our minimum kind of quality requirements. And so we'll go into that booking, we'll do these filters that we've talked about, and then we'll click on the option to order by price lowest to highest. And that gives us a starting point for a budget for the city. Yeah, and at that point, we open up all of the individual listings to look at them more closely. So we've, we've done the search for general location. We've clicked the amenities we want, so Wi-Fi, maybe breakfast, depending. We've eliminated the lower rating options, and then we've ordered by price. And at that point, we're opening up different individual listings to have a look at individual properties. So once we've got those open, we're going to look again at more information. So we might go into the hotel information, make sure that there's hot water, for example, check if breakfast is included or extra, things like that. And we also look very closely at the reviews because the reviews have lots of good information in them. For example, if there's no hot water, that's definitely going to be showing up in these reviews. Absolutely. There's also um, often information about the Wi-Fi in the reviews. And one thing I'd like to request the whole world to try out for me, a lot of people say good Wi-Fi and we go there and we're like, this Wi-Fi is disastrous, but the person that was here three days ago said it was good or great. So use something like speedtest.net. And if you're going to make a comment about the Wi-Fi as you review a hotel, give the ping, the upload, and the download speed, because that makes a huge difference. Because what what's good Wi-Fi? I don't know. It's, it certainly wasn't where we were the other day when we had like 0.5 up and less than one down. But it was enough to check emails and receive WhatsApp messages. So it depends on what you're doing with it. You know, I suppose lots of people found it completely adequate. One thing I always look for in the reviews is references to noise because I like to sleep in quiet places. So I'm always looking to see if people are saying, oh, it was really noisy, there were parties outside, or the bathroom next door made a lot of noise, or if there are any problems with certain rooms, that's a good place to look for that information. 
Yeah, we've often used that information to craft a, a note or a, a booking request that we send. We're saying, hey, we'd really like to have a room that is away from the street or something like that, depending on the information in the reviews. So thanks to everyone that puts in that kind of information. It's awesome. One thing that I've noticed that in some places in Central America, some rooms don't have windows. And I find that really strange. I mean, in New Zealand, you can't let out a room that doesn't have windows. So like Craig said, that's one thing that we'd include in our request. I'd always say, we'd really like a quiet room with windows, please, which is something I never thought I'd have to request. This week's episode is brought to you by Select Italy. If you're heading to Italy and want some help with planning, they can definitely help. Select Italy designs custom itineraries and books a whole range of products and services, including fascinating tours, romantic wedding or honeymoon trips, as well as ticketing services for museums and musical events in Italy. So visit selectitaly.com for more information. One important thing that we haven't talked about so far is the room type. I mean, are you looking for a dorm? Is it going to be a big dorm, a small dorm, a single sex dorm? Are you looking for a, a private room? Is it going to be a double, a twin? There's just so many different room types. Yeah, when you're starting the process and you're entering your dates, you'll also enter how many people you're looking for. And some booking engines allow you to say, oh, I'm a couple or it's a group of friends or something like that so that they can choose the room type for you. In our case, of course, we always put that there are two people and then we get a list of accommodations for two people. Now, sometimes that includes dorms because, you know, we could be two individual people looking for two beds. One thing I like about booking.com is that when I do that, it often comes up with the option saying, this list includes shared accommodation like dorms. Do you want to just show private rooms? And since I like private rooms, I click that option and all of the dorms disappear. We've found some weird stuff with online booking when we're booking for a group of people. Say we're traveling with family or friends and there's five or six of us and we go to book that. And sometimes it gives us like one big group room and other times it gives us five single rooms. It's really, really strange. So I'd say if you're not a, a couple or a family with kind of small kids that are going to be sleeping in the same room, if you're booking for a group of friends, it's really important to look closely at the room types that they're giving you. Booking engines are a lot more intelligent these days than they used to be, though, so it's, it's really good. I mean, when I did this booking for the hotel where we stayed in Panama just recently, I searched for four people and I wanted two rooms, and I got a lot of different options. And in the end, we chose one that, that was a private room with a private bathroom and a private room with a shared bathroom. So that kept our costs down, which was really good. It also came up with a lot of options for hotels, and we could have got two separate full-service rooms. When we were looking for accommodation when we were in Portugal last year, we are traveling with my sister, her son, and our friend Janine. So there were five of us, and I just did a search for five people, and the options that came up were really interesting. We actually ended up quite often just getting a family room, which worked out really well, and quite often there were two separate bedrooms within that. But yeah, definitely worth looking closely at what the room is and what the beds are. If it's a double room, is it a double bed? Is it a queen bed? Is it two single beds? Look carefully at this, because if you're a couple and you want to share a bed, you want to have a double bed. We found something really strange in a lot of places in Europe, where a double bed was what we would consider two single beds pushed together, but with one set of sheets over the top. Mm -hmm. And so that's really common. At first I thought it was something to do with rural Italy and, and Catholicism, but it, it wasn't. It was all over the place, from big capitals like Vienna and Rome, down to tiny little B&Bs in places like San Bernardino. 
Linda mentioned just before the uh, <clears throat> the bathroom situation, whether that's private or shared, makes a big difference and often makes a significant difference to the price. Yes. So as we said before, we often order all of the listings by price. And so quite often the first ones that come up are going to have a shared bathroom. So if you don't want a shared bathroom, you'll need to eliminate those ones and keep on scrolling down until you find ones that have private bathroom. Sometimes it's not so obvious. Usually it comes up with a little notification saying shared bathroom or private bathroom. But sometimes you have to dig a little bit to find out what the bathroom situation actually is. Our rule of thumb is if we're going to be somewhere for just two or three nights, we don't really care that much. We'll look at other things first. If we're going to be staying for a week or longer, then it's really important to have a private bathroom and just create that kind of space for yourself. So let's move on to point number eight, which is what extras are included or what extras are available? For example, is breakfast included in the price? Maybe breakfast is included in the price of the room you're looking at, but if you choose the room that doesn't have breakfast included, you can save $10 and just go next door and get a coffee. Other things you might want to consider is, is there an airport pickup or a pickup from the, the local station? Is there a restaurant on site? What other facilities are available that you can use? Maybe you have to pay extra for them. Maybe they're included. Maybe you get a welcome drink on arrival. It could just be enough to tip you over into choosing that hotel over other ones. Yeah, I very rarely find there's something in the extras that make me go, oh my God, we have to go there. But every now and again, I'm looking for something. I remember when we started this journey that we're on at the moment, our first flight was into Bangkok and we were having four or five days there just to relax after a, a stressful few months and kind of reset, get our head back in the game. And one thing that we both really wanted was a swimming pool. So it's like, yes, this is now compulsory. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, I don't know, for me, I'm not much of a breakfast eater. I'll normally just have a cup of coffee in the morning and then work through until 10, 11, maybe even until lunch without eating anything. But when there are good breakfasts available, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to wake up early enough to get my metabolism up and running so I can sneak down in the last half hour and eat all this delicious food. We've had some really great breakfasts, haven't we? When we're traveling through Germany, some of the hostels and hotels we stayed at. Was it Hostel Korn? Korn? Hostel Korn. It oh. was just, I've, I had better breakfasts in that hostel than I've had in five-star hotels. So it's good. unbelievable. Okay, so we've just been talking about extras that are included or available. So number nine is exclusions. What is not included or what is not available? What costs you extra? Your room. <laughs> So, for example, taxes. Oh, I really hate it when taxes are not included in the price. So you might find that one listing has all of the taxes included and costs 100 bucks, and the next one is looks cheaper. It's only 90 bucks, but the taxes aren't included. And if you go with that option, it's going to be $120. So, you know, look closely at what is not included in the price, what's not, what's extra. We found it very strange when we were traveling around Europe in that some hostels charge you extra for sheets. And we thought, okay, that's fine. So we'll just use our sleeping bags, which we have with us. But then they wouldn't let us use our sleeping bags. So you had to pay extra, but there was no way around it. So that was another factor that you had to consider. Yeah, and stuff like that is just crazy for me. If it's compulsory, just make it part of the price. And so it was to avoid bed bugs, and I really appreciate avoiding bed bugs. I will pay an extra couple of dollars for that without a problem. I just don't understand why that's not included 
in the advertised price if it's compulsory. Mm. So be aware that you're going to run into situations like this where there's a bit of, I would say, false marketing going on. Yeah. Things like city taxes and sales taxes in Europe. I mean, I know in Berlin when I was last there, no, the second last time I was there, I went to pay and there was an extra like 3% or something like, what's, what's this for? And uh, that was a city tax. I'm like, but my booking says that all taxes are included. And I ended up having a 10-minute fight with the guy, even though I just wanted to pay it. I'm like, I'll pay it. He's like, no, they can't do that. I'm not going to pay. I'm like, look, I'll pay the extra, I don't know, it's like 10 euros. I'm like, yeah, here's a, take my card, pay it. He's like, rah, rah. So I ended up having an accidental fight, or rather the manager had a fight with himself <laughs> while I had to look on and occasionally smile and nod and shake my head. So it was it was interesting, that experience. And did you pay it? No, no. He ended up arguing so he won. himself. Yeah, he, he won the argument. Um, but yeah, I, it just blew my mind. So be careful that even if your booking says all taxes, your manager might want to fight with himself about how horrible the system is and how he'll go bankrupt if he has to pay everyone's taxes on top of that rate. Awesome. Um, <laughs> there's been a few cases like that, though, eh? Yeah, it's, it's really strange. Another thing that I've noticed is that things that I expect to be included sometimes aren't. So, for example, especially in hostels, you sometimes have to pay extra for a towel or for soap. Or for a shower, you know, they might have a, a press button system where you have to put a coin in, or you might have to pay for a locker. So, I mean, if you're staying in a hotel, these things probably won't happen to you, but in hostels, it's something to consider. Now, one thing that I've read a lot of people complaining about is that not all hotels, not all hostels have tea and coffee making facilities in the rooms. I know that in the UK, this is standard. If you go to any hotel or any B&B, any guest house in the UK, you will have tea and coffee making facilities in your room. This is not standard all around the world, so just be prepared for that. One thing I like to be standard is a welcome drink on arrival. It's so nice to arrive and be given a, a cocktail and, and just, you know, chill out in the lobby while they handle checking for you. Mm. Unfortunately, this is excluded in most places <laughs> around the world. So I'm always a, a little tiny bit disappointed uh, when I don't get my, my cocktail on arrival. It's it's sad. It's, it's okay, sad Craig. but true. It's I know. Okay. It, I, I feel the same way about that cheap rum mojito as British people do about not having a kettle in their room. <laughs> okay, let's move on to point number 10, the last point on our top 10 list of things to do when booking accommodation online. It's kind of back to number one. Look at location. This time, look at your specific location. So where exactly is the hotel? Is it on a quiet street? Is it on a busy street? Is it in the middle of town? Is it quite far away? What about the facilities for getting into town if you want to go into the city? Is there a bus? Is there a train? Can you get around? Yeah, and this comes back to looking on the map and really having an idea about what you want to do in the city and where you want to be. And this, I think, is really important if you're only going to be there for one night, for a day, maybe a weekend break. The location doesn't matter so much if you're there for a week, but it does matter a lot if you're trying to pack a whole lot of stuff into a short period of time. That's true. I remember the first time we were in Rome, we did we did a lot of these steps, but basically we were looking at the cheapest option available. and We, we ended had up, no money. We had no money. We were really broke because we'd just been living in Malta for six months and hadn't managed to save anything. Anyway, so we booked the cheapest place available, and it was ages away. It was about 45 minutes to an hour away from the center by walking and then a bus and then a train, which was ridiculous. 
So it wasn't the best choice. We would have been much better paying a bit more and being more in the centre. No, we wouldn't, because we had nothing. We emptied our bank account to go from Malta to a job in the north of Italy. Mm. We we were on like, I think it was something like 12 or 13 euros for the day. So it's like, I will have this loaf of bread. It was it was tough. We had nothing. Yeah, I suppose you but, have to factor that in. <laughs> yeah, but we learned the lesson that cheapest isn't always best, and location does matter. Okay, well, that's pretty much all we have to say about the top 10 things to do when booking accommodation online. If you have any comments, please come to IndieTravelPodcast.com and leave your comments on the podcast show notes. We'd love to hear what you have to say and what you do when you're booking accommodation online. We don't have much planned for the next month or so. We're going to be here in Santa Fe, uh, working away, looking after the dogs, doing some hiking. It's going to be good. Yeah, we still have to do our border run, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we need to figure that out. The strange thing about having a visa for six months but only being able to drive for three of them. You know, so we get to go to Costa Rica. That should be fun for half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Might manage to make a weekend of it, go to the beach. Okay, well, that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.